Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing today? We doing good? We awake? We having fun yet? We're going to have some fun today. Hey, just glad you're here. Just want to say welcome. My name is David. I'm on staff here at Frontline. And if you're joining us on Facebook, we just want to say welcome to you too. Uh, We actually have an audience that joins us every week during the 11 o'clock service. Um, For those that can't make it, can't be here, traveling, out and about, whatever. So we're just glad you're here. We're glad you guys are here in the room as well. And we are talking about Jonah today. I got to tell you, Jonah is one of my favorite characters in the entire Bible. He's a riot. He's funny. But he also acts like a teenager that you're going to see throughout the entire time. He has ups and downs and ups and downs in matters of minutes, not days or weeks, but minutes. And so we're going to have a lot of fun with Jonah today. But to understand Jonah and where we're going with Jonah, you need to understand one piece of information ahead of time. And that's Jonah. Jonah's heritage is he's an Israelite. Jonah comes from Israel. He's a Hebrew. He's an Israelite. And so Jonah... um, it's part of the Israelites, and the Israelites hate the Assyrians. Assyrians were a big empire at the time, big, strong, but they're also like an evil type of empire. In fact, the word assimilate comes from the word Assyria, or the people group Assyria, because Assyrians, they were so big and so powerful and so wicked, they would move into cities or nations or people groups that they would attack, and they would assimilate themselves through birth into that culture. So they would move into a Hebrew community and they would take their women and they would have children with the Hebrew women so that the next generation would no longer be Hebrew or kind of like a sovereign nation, but now they've been assimilated into the Assyrian culture. So people groups in this time hated the Assyrians, especially the Israelites. The Israelites were God's people, but the Assyrians were like the enemies of God's people. So the Israelites and the Assyrians hate each other. They don't want anything to do with each other. And it's not even like uh, us in Ohio, right? Like we, we tolerate Ohio, we put up with them, but this was like we detest them, like people who want to kill us. Maybe some of you, that is still true. Um, regardless, you understand what I'm saying. They hate each other. These people groups hate each other. And so God comes to Jonah, who is his prophet, and he taps him on the shoulder. And he says, Jonah, I am sending you to the people group that you hate. So check this out. Jonah chapter one, verse one says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh is in Assyria. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. If God taps you on the shoulder and says, I want you to go to your enemy, your worst enemy, one who you fear your life. For centuries, they have pillaged you and inflicted harm and violence and just looted your city and your people and just caused unmatched destruction. If God says, I want to send you to these people because I have a message for them, what would your response be? Sweet, I'll pack my bags, I'll buy the flight, I'll go right now. Wrong. You have the same response that Jonah did. Jonah says, heck no, I'm going the opposite direction. I don't want anything to do with them. So here's what Jonah says. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So for us, we don't know where Tarshish is and Joppa and Nineveh. So I have a map for you. I want to show you the map. Here's Jonah's response. God says, here you are. You're in Joppa. I want you to go 550 miles. It's a month's journey. You can make it. There's no Uber. There's a camel. Jump on the camel. Head to Nineveh. This is where I want you to go. You'll be there in a month. Easy. 
You know what's funny? Ohio's probably around this distance from us. Don't go there, but I just want to throw that out. So here's Joppa, here's Jonah, and he says, heck no, I'm not going there. I'm going the opposite direction to Tarshish. I'm not going equal distance here, okay? I'm not going to the UP. I'm going to like the Arctic Circle. I'm getting so far away. I don't want anything to do with them. In fact, I'm going to go five times the distance that you've told me to go because I hate them. So that's what he does. Check this out. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So Jonah buys a boat ticket. He's on the boat. They're going through the Mediterranean. He's got his feet up, and he's kicking back going, nice. I avoided this. This is great. And God sends a wind, and God intervenes to the point that waves are crashing over, and the sailors on the boat think, this may kill us. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. That's, they roll dice. They took a bunch of dice, they roll them, they assign everybody a number, and the number that kept coming up is, wouldn't you guess it, our friend Jonah. So they say, Jonah, what the heck? The lots cast, they cast lots, the lot fell on Jonah, so they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? Whose fault is it? What kind of work do you do, by the way? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Because something you did, or someone you're a part of, or for some reason God is mad at you, and our lives are in danger because of it. He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. That's an Israelite. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, and you just kind of love this note, who made the sea that's trying to kill us right now, and the dry land, where we would like to be. So my God is the God that created both, and I'm running from him. This terrified them, and they said, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. What an odd conversation. Can I just say, hey, what are you going to Joppa for? Running from the Lord. (laughs) Told me to do something, I don't want to do it. So I'm going the opposite. Oh, sweet, welcome aboard. (laughs) The sea was getting rougher and rougher and rougher and rougher, and the men were terrified. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? We don't want to die because of you. What do we have to do to make this right? Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And before you think, wow, what a great man who's willing to sacrifice himself for the good of those around him. I want us not to forget that Jonah is running from Nineveh. Jonah doesn't say, turn the ship around. He doesn't say, let's go back to shore. He doesn't say, just drop, say, hey, we're all going to pray together. I'm going to repent, and then we're going to turn around. Jonah says, kill me. Just kill me. I'd rather die out here in the sea than go back to the place that God has told me to go. All of a sudden, our prophet is not so honorable right? Let's keep going. Let's keep reading. Then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard. You wonder what that looked like. And the raging sea grew calm, eerie. 
Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah on the dry land. For some of you in this room, maybe you grew up with this story uh, in Sunday school. You had a Sunday school teacher who had a felt board and they had a whale and they had Jonah and they, they put the whale on top of Jonah, like inside and you're just like, oh, how cool. Like he got a whale ride for free and it's like cool and fun and then you start asking questions as you get older. Like, I wonder what it smells like and where does oxygen come from and so all this if you this is you in the room right now and you're saying you don't really believe that do you um it's okay if that's where you're at because what we're going to see later in the story is there's actually something else that's a lot more unbelievable than this but here's what i want you to hear is that jonah is running from the lord trying to evade or get away with something he doesn't want to do for God. And an act of God intervenes and provides a course correction outside of Jonah's desires that brings him back to the place where he can make a decision. He gets a second chance. How many of us in the room can relate to a time where an act of God has interceded or broken into our lives and provided a course correction to do something maybe we knew we were supposed to do all along? for no other explanation than God. And so that's what happened. So Jonah gets vomited on a dry land. Whoop-de-doo, that's gross. And then the Lord comes to him and speaks to him yet again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And there's a prayer, this is whole, the second chapter of Jonah, that it says Jonah's in the whale and he's praying to God and he says this, God, thank you for sparing my life because I was so against you and I wanted to run so far away from you, I was willing to die and they threw me overboard and you saved me. Thank you. So God comes to him again and says, you're welcome. Go to Nineveh. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. All right, applause for Jonah. He did it, good job. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming five Hebrew words. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Not exactly a gospel message. Am I right? Where's the repentance? Where's the forgiveness? Where's the, hey, uh, turn from your ways and God might save you. There's just 40 more days and you're done. I can't wait. Month and a half. I set a, a countdown on my watch. You know, so it just tells me every day we're getting closer. 40 more days. You're all going to be gone. The city's going to be mine. 40 more days. And yet, something funny happens with this word that God gives Jonah to use. And it's the word overthrown. So for us, when we translate it, we hear overthrown. But if you dig in just a little bit into the Hebrew, you heard that there's multiple meanings or interpretations for different words. And this one, it means overthrown. And so Jonah thinks, oh, the city's gonna be overthrown. God's gonna take over and he's gonna pummel it and he's gonna crush it and he's gonna destroy it. Their wicked ways will be overthrown and they will be done. But the word overthrown also translates to overturned. So switch those around and say turned over which is also a fair interpretation to say that the city of Nineveh will be transformed. Uh-oh. The city of Nineveh will be transformed. It's accurate. 
But Jonah thinks that means they will be destroyed and demolished. But as we'll see, God had other things in mind. So Jonah preaches this message and it says, the Ninevites believed who? God. This is a city of 120,000 people. And through one message, through five words, you will all be destroyed. You will be overthrown in 40 days from one message, from one prophet, without anything else. The Ninevites believed God. It says, a fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued Nineveh. By the decree of the king and of the nobles, do not let people or animals. He even includes the animals. Okay, your dog Sparky and Buddy the hamster and the eight cows you got in the back. All of them, put on sackcloth. Make them sit down. We're fasting. Don't let them taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up. Hear this line. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. You know, Nineveh was known for sorcery, for witchcraft, for prostitution, for adultery, for violence, for murder. This was an evil and wicked city. And the king says, stop it. Maybe God will relent. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion Turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Wow. What a cool story. Here's a man who God taps on the shoulder and invites to be a part of one of the greatest responses that we read about in the Bible. 120,000 people and they're animals. They all turn from their wicked ways. I don't know what a cow does that's wicked, but it turned. And so they relent. God relents from the, from the calamity that he wants to bring. And Jonah, who didn't want to do it at all, who finally obliges and says, okay, God, I will do it comes through and has such an extraordinarily big and effective response. Wow. Isn't that cool? The story could end right there. Jonah, a boy, we're proud of you. You had to go through the whole fish thing, but hopefully you learned something. You took a shower by then. We're just excited that God used you in a mighty way. But here's the thing. Jonah's attitude is a little bit different. It says this in the next chapter, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Jonah was not happy. It says, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, this is what I tried to forestall. I tried to delay this by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. This is a complaint of his. Just keep the, the what? I'm a, you're a gracious and compassionate God and I hate that. And you're slow to anger and you're abounding in love and that drives me nuts. And a God who relents from sending calamity, just bring it already. This is Jonah's prayer. Now, Lord, take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Just kill me now. 
Do you feel like you're dealing with a teenager here? This is Jonah and just the tantrum that he throws. God, I want to see you bring destruction. But here's the thing that we need to remember is in Exodus 32 or 34, Jonah is part of the Israelites. And God describes himself to the Israelites in Exodus and says, I'm a God that's gracious and compassionate. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in love. And I'm patient. And the Israelites were the recipients of the grace that God gave. So Jonah, experiencing this grace from God and from his heritage, knowing this is the character of God, resisted going to Nineveh, not because he feared for his life, but because he didn't want to see them saved. Wow. And so Jonah, instead of assuming the role of messenger to which God called him, as he goes into the city, he puts on the hat of judge and says, I decide who lives and dies, and I've decreed you don't deserve it. Uh-oh. So let's keep reading. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen. I just need to depict this for you so that you understand how funny this is. Jonah, still ticked off, going, nope, they all deserve to die. I've kind of had it with the Ninevites. I don't like them. So here's the thing. I'm going outside the city. I'm going to set up my little chair. I'm going to create a little shelter for myself because I still think, maybe hope, maybe you'll still kill them all. That would be awesome, God. I'd love that. So he sets up in his chair, right? Looks something like this. Check out this picture. He says, here I am. I'm going to go right outside the city. Kind of looks like he's going to the bathroom, but we're not going to point that out. And he sits outside the city and he builds himself a shelter. I don't have a shelter, so here's my shelter. He builds himself a shelter and gets a pair of binoculars and he sits and he waits. Does this look stupid? <laughs> and I promise you, if I see this on social media later, heads are going to roll, okay? <laughs> so if you had your camera, I did that quickly for a reason, okay? Does that look stupid or what? That's Jonah. Jonah goes out, he says, I'm so set on watching them die that I just hate them so deeply, I want to watch them suffer. That's messed up. And here's how God responds to Jonah. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Wow. That God sees his teenage child throwing a tantrum, asking for the destruction of his enemies, and pouting. And he has compassion on him. So he provides this leafy plant to ease his discomfort. And this is so funny. I mean, Jonah, good grief. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. I mean, it just gets old. You're like, you're, I just don't even have a category for you, Jonah. It, you know what my wife does to me at home when I like am naughty and misbehave? She like looks at me and she goes like this. Uh, uh. And she squashes me. Just, if I, uh, fixed. How easy would it be for God just to go, Jonah, I've just about, I mean, you've had like second and third chances over. You're just, uh, Done. 
And he does it. He has compassion on him. So he provides this like leafy plant to give him shade. We think it's, it's called like a, a castor oil plant. It actually looks like this. And it's got like these big, green, thick leaves. And look at the shade that it provides. God causes this plant to grow up behind Jonah because he's waiting for the destruction of God's people and he's mad about it because he's hot. Are you catching? This is just a fun story. So God gives him this plant. And it says, at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. That's just what I mean. He just grew faint. He wanted to die. Are we used to hearing this now from Jonah? God, I'm hot. I'm sweaty. I want to die. He said, it'd be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And every parent in the room is doing this in their mind right now. We're just gonna fix this once and for all. And here's what happens. The Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant Though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And then I love this last ad, and also many animals. Here's what God's trying to communicate to Jonah. Even if you don't care about others, even if you want to see their destruction, even if you've put the hat of judge on your head and indicted people for their sins and their evil ways, I have compassion for them. I love them. I want them. I don't want them to die. I don't want them to be destroyed. I don't want them to be punished by the doing of their own sin. I love them. And that's why I sent you, Jonah. And isn't it funny, I mean, just as we think about Jonah, how quick he is to receive grace, but how slow he is to give it and share it with others. That Jonah is an Israelite who also has a smattered history in their relationship with God, who constantly shows them mercy and grace and love and forgiveness, and yet in a split second, he forgets all of it. Even himself, through his own story, forgets it and just wants to see those who have hurt him in the past be punished for it. How often do we resist or run from the people that God has called us to reach? Just let that sink in for us personally for a second. How often do we just hold judgment or a grudge or, or we just cast this judgment and just say, you're, you're just a category, you're just like this, this is how I see you, you don't deserve it. And oftentimes that comes from a place of pain for us. You've hurt me in the past or you left me you abandoned me, you divorced me, you broke me. I mean, there's so many things that we can do and fill in those gaps about people who have hurt us in the past. And so often it's easy for us to take this view from a long ways away and put on the hat of judge and say, you don't deserve what I got. And that's grace. 
You don't deserve what I got, and that's love. You don't deserve what I got, and that's forgiveness. And we put on this hat of judge instead of the hat of messenger. You see, God tapped Jonah, and he didn't say, go in and judge the people. Whatever you find or whatever you see fit, we will do what you want, which is a very good thing. Do we all agree? And yet oftentimes when God sends us, we make the mistake of putting on the hat of judge and not of messenger. Here's what Jonah can't wrestle with. Jonah can't understand how God can be both on his side and the side of the Ninevites. So think about this. The story is about Jonah and Nineveh. That's what we read. But none of us in here, or probably most of us in here, are not named Jonah. And probably most of us have never been to this place called Nineveh. So let's zoom out a little bit and go, who do these two represent even in our story? Jonah represents Israel, who is God's people. Jonah represents Israel, and Nineveh represents Assyria. Nineveh is in Assyria. It's this collection of Assyrians who live in Nineveh. But we can't stop there because none of us in the room most likely are Israelites or Assyrians. So let's zoom out one more and just see this through a different lens. Here's what the story is about. The story is about God's people and the lost. That Jonah can't wrap his mind around how God can be both for me, for his people, for those that he loves and leads and died for, and also those who reject him and are evil and live according to their own creed. He can't wrap his mind around how God could be both for him and his enemies. And I just, I want to make this relevant for us today. I just want us to think through this um, because it's a great mystery today too. Let me just ask this question. Um, could God actually be for people who are for both Republicans and Democrats? Is it possible? I mean, as, as we really think about it, a lot of us align with one or the other. Maybe you're the independent. But, but one of us aligns, or a lot of us align with one of them, and, and it's so easy for us to think that, well, I'm, I'm God's, and I have a relationship with God, and I've received what he has for me, and that's grace and forgiveness, and so I am his. Therefore, God must be on my side, and whoever I oppose, God must also oppose. And this is where we get really dangerous because that's not what God communicates. God can be both for elephants and donkeys, you hear me? But let's get a little bit deeper. Can God be both for people who support immigration and the wall? Uh-oh. I see some of you pulling out your phones like, I gotta delete this before he goes there on my Facebook wall. Could God be both for people who support immigration and also people who support the wall? Let's go two more. Could God really be for people who are for the LGBT community and the church. Could he? And this last one, could God also be for people who align themselves and fight for women's rights and also for the rights of babies? And I want you to hear me right now because this you need to hear what I'm about to say. If there's one thing you, you need to hear, it's this next statement. God still calls out sin for sin. He's clear. 
He makes it clear what's sin and what's not, and he sends Jonah to Nineveh to preach against the sin, but Jonah didn't preach the other half of the message, and that's grace. And so what you need to hear, especially on this last one, abortion is sin. It is. But it doesn't mean that God is against you forever if you align that way or think that way or maybe even commit it. It doesn't, what we need to hear is God is against abortion, but every statement I said, it's God is for people. People. And our job is not judge. And we love to put the hat of judge on and decide, and yet God says, no, 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 no. You are my messengers. I have given you this book to lead people in this book, and there's both truth and grace in this book. Here's what's so important. We love to sit back and accuse or throw rocks at or judge those who are different or do different things or those who sin. And maybe it's right that they sin and it's not good and God is against it, but God has not called us to the role of judge. He has called us to the role of, say it with me, messenger of his message, not our message. See, here's what we see in scripture, that even the most wicked, evil ways can be redeemed by a God who loves people. And one of the great mysteries is why he uses broken and messed up and ignorant and selfish people like us to accomplish that mission. You see, Jonah lost perspective that the Ninevites were just like him. We love to compare horizontally, but we forget to compare vertically. That as we stand before Jesus, all of us fall short, all of us are sinful, all of us are broken. And God says, I have grace for you and mercy for you, just like I have grace and mercy and forgiveness for those who oppose you and those who are your enemies. This is a hard message for us to hear, but it's because we're not judged and yet often we get caught playing it, just like Jonah in this story. Here's what Jesus did and how Jesus interacted with his disciples in the same way. Jesus even quotes Jonah and talks about Jonah. So we believe, I mean, there's proof that says Jonah was a real person and the Ninevites were a real person. This isn't allegory. It's not just parable. It's, this is a real story. And so Jesus, in leading his disciples, says you need to go out and make disciples. Imagine a field that just everywhere you see, there's just fruit and it's ripe for the harvest. Maybe it's corn, maybe it's beans. I don't know what it is, but you just look. And everywhere you look, there's harvest. He says, this is what I'm doing in the world. That what you see is the wickedness and the brokenness. What I see is the fertile ground that's ready to produce fruit that can be harvested and I need workers to harvest it. But don't miss this. Jonah would have rather died than see his enemies forgiven. But as we look at the character of Jesus, Jesus would rather die than see his enemies condemned. Think about that. That God so had a heart for people that he couldn't sit back and watch them destroy themselves. That he had to intervene and say, I'll pay the price so that they can be saved. This is the message that God has given us to share with the world. 
not one of judgment, one of grace, one of hope, one of forgiveness. So here's what Jesus says uh, in Matthew 9, verse 37. It says this, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And then right after, he looked at his disciples and he said, I am sending you. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Look around. There's a harvest that's so plentiful and so abundant. I am sending you. But here's what I don't want us to miss. How many people were in the city of Nineveh? Do you guys remember? 120,000. God is never satisfied with almost everyone. You realize that, that the story of scripture, there's a parable about 99 sheep and the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one. In this story, there are not 120,000 characters, but 120,000 and one. Who is that one? Who is it? It's Jonah. God doesn't give up on Jonah just like he didn't give up on the Ninevites, just like he doesn't give up on us and those that we've been called to reach. What's your Nineveh? Where is it that you have been called to bring a message of hope and of forgiveness and of grace? And maybe, just maybe, it's to a people group or to a family member or a coworker or a boss or someone who has deeply hurt you in the past. Because we have so freely received this gift, we've also been tasked with bringing a message of grace to a world around us. We had uh, an event this past week just for like the Wesleyan Church and being a part of it, just hearing kind of up-to-date statistics about people and what they talked about on this Thursday, a recent study that's up-to-date that talks about the harvest. And what they said is the harvest is so plentiful all around us and yet a lot of us think it's, it's skeptical and it's against us and, and the church is declining. Here's what we learned. This is so cool. You guys just need to hear this. That 80% of people who aren't churched are ready for more conversations about their faith. 80% of unchurched people that you interact with are ready for more conversations about faith. One out of three times people will say yes to coming to church with you. We talked about this invite card and inviting people to come with you next week to Easter. If someone says no on your first time, ask them two more times. One out of three. Who is it? Brad brought this up earlier. I thought he did an awesome job. Who is it that God may be putting on your mind to invite them next week? Because stats tell us 80% of people are ready for more. Are you willing to be a worker that's sent into the harvest field of God? God's been tilling and he's been preparing and cultivating and growing. And there are people in our communities and in our world who we oftentimes see as enemies. And God goes, no, I've been pursuing them. They're ready. They're at this place. They're ready for breakthrough. It's not a harvest problem. It's a worker problem. And then just like the disciples, right after he says, I'm sending you. How will you respond to the invitation to go out into the world, to be the messenger that God has asked you to be? So what's that context for you? 
just as we close, I just love, Brad said this earlier. I don't know if he said this in this service, but he said it earlier, that Jesus came to put to death, death. Wow. That as we look at our world and we see brokenness and devastation and destruction and things that are just crippling because it hurts and we're just so disappointed and sad, God came to put death to death and to bring life. Are you willing to be a messenger of his, to share that good news that death doesn't have to win, but that life can come after. Would you pray with me? God, I just thank you for our church. I thank you for the community that you've called us to. And God, I thank you for the grace that you have given us. God, you haven't called us to be judged. You've called us to be messenger. And so I thank you for the grace that you've showered upon us. And I pray for boldness and courage that we would share that same message of grace to those in our context. God, I pray for people right now that you would just bring to mind, uh, maybe it's family members, maybe it's spouses, maybe it's kids, maybe it's coworkers, bosses, students, teachers, faculty, whatever it is, God, I pray that, that you would just put people on our hearts that you want us to reach out to and to invite. And God, we thank you that there is a plentiful harvest and we just ask God that you would send us into your harvest fields to, to experience what you are doing and how you are working in a big way. We love you. And everybody said together, Amen.